Flashpoint, dear. In honor of The Flash, what's the second most cheerworthy moment from a DC movie? Second, of course, to The Flash entering the Speed Force. Uh, I'm Katie Rich, and when I think DC uh, Extended Universe, DCEU, I know there's sure. an E in there somewhere. Uh, I think Chris Pine, and so I'm going with uh, Chris Pine flying in Wonder Woman's Invisible Jet. Oh. Of course, Wonder Woman. I, I was like, where are you going with Chris Pine? I don't recall him. In, oh, right. <laughs> right. He is. He, is. Uh, he wears uh, 80s clothes in the second one, but, you know, we have Ken for that. I, I'm Matt Patches, and I'm going to have to go with something obvious here, which is when um, Megan Fox says, Jonah Hex in Jonah Hex. <laughs> <laughs> uh, hey, it's me, David the Seven, and uh, George Clooney Batman saves both Robin and Dr. Chase Meridian in Batman Forever. Because that's mostly uh, because the score by Elliot Goldenthal rocks in that moment. Uh, and I'm David Ehrlich, and this is a really easy one for me. Uh, biggest cheer-worthy moment, uh, aside from the Flash into the Sea Force, was when I found out the Flash was coming out when I was going to be on maternity leave. I was ecstatic. Uh, <laughs> I didn't have to see it. I will never have to see it. Never have to write about it. Love it. Easily my favorite movie in the DCEU. That was me in the original Suicide Squad. I was on maternity leave. Never saw it. Saw the second one for this podcast, though, so I guess I didn't avoid it as well as I thought I would. You'll be here to review Flash 2, David. Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Fine, I can hear you now, Dimitri. Clear and plain and coming through fine. I'm coming through fine, too, eh? Good, then. Well, then, as you say, we're both coming through fine. Good. Well, it's good that you're fine, then, and I'm fine. I agree with you. It's great to be fine. It's, it's a podcast. podcast. Hello and welcome to Fighting in the War Room. It's episode 433. It is the week. Wow. Wednesday, June 14th. 433. That one number got you, huh? Nice. 433 in honor of John Cage's 433. <laughs> we'll be performing this entire podcast in silence. In silence. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's the week of Wednesday, June 14th. That is the day that in 1967, Ronald Reagan, heard of him, signed, he was the California governor at that time, he signed the Therapeutic Abortion Act, legalizing abortions in the state under cer certain circumstances. Wow. I Thanks, Ronald did, Reagan. Did not know that. Yeah. I that was I, fascinating. I ran across this fact uh, because he was actually the second uh, person in the 60s to start uh, the, the the role, the, the legalizing of abortion. Uh, and the first one was in Colorado. Uh, but it's it's funnier because it's Ronald Reagan. Yeah. Absolutely. And look what he's wrought. Look how well he turned out and how pro choice his <laughs> decisions were. Uh, hello. David, do we have yeah. reviews? Any? Yeah, uh, yeah. I think. Hey. Uh, I'm trying to remember when we recorded last. What day it was? Uh, last week. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> it was seven uh, days before today. Yeah, but we're recording on a Monday. Well, no, it was we usually record actually on a last Tuesday because you yelled at me okay. about it not being Wednesday, and I kept saying today. And I, was like, yeah. I got it. So. Tuesday, last days, Tuesday days, was days. the sixth. Happy days. Thursday, Friday, happy days. Mm -hmm. Well, Saturday. I, think, I don't think we read either of these Road to Wellville reviews. Do we read this really? one? Because we've Scotland? got chastised so. for I know, I know, I know. not knowing this Many movie multiple times. Um, it's, uh, apparently it's still going. They're the going to be very surprised continues. by this week's episode. Are they? I, I think so. we said yeah, last yeah. week. No, we have, <laughs> we have two more. I'm ready. Uh, Wait, stop me is, if this, you're ready. What do you mean? Read the reviews. Yeah, I'm, re I'm ready to read the reviews. I mean, I think we have two reviews okay, uh, that both have. This is a rarity. This may actually be a first. We have two reviews uh, the exact that came same. in 
that came in uh, concurrently that have the exact same subject line to the letter and with the exact same capitalization, everything. A historic day for all of us. Fitzgoblin says the road to Wellville. <laughs> I've been listening for a number of years, and this is my number one podcast for walking my dog, which is high praise in my household. Blank check introduced me to y'all, and it is my number one podcast for mowing the lawn. Rank those activities in their accompanying podcast however makes you feel best, I guess. Anyhow, I really just wanted to write in response to the recent mention of Kellogg and let you know there's a book and film adaptation of that book, which attempts to combine serial making and all of his other weird crap. The 1994 film The Road to Wellville, starring Anthony Hopkins as Kellogg. This is good foreshadowing for anyone uh, listening along to this episode. It has a pretty stacked cast. Joan Cusack. John Cusack, rather. No Joan. Bridget Fonda. Wish, Matthew wish Joan was in there. My God. Um, I, mean, I, have a, I have to do a sidebar about Joan Cusack in a second. But John Cusack, Bridget Fonda, Matthew Broderick, Dana Carvey. And I remember loving it as a teenager when it came out. But I haven't watched it in over 20 years. I don't know if I can recommend it based on that. But it's certainly trying some things. Keep up the good work. Well, Fitzgoblin, thank you so much for that review. Uh, my sidebar about Joan Cusack was that I recently... I think I may have mentioned this to Katie. Off, off mic. Off pod um or maybe it was some maybe i was testing the waters with other slightly less oscar obsessed people before i brought it to the uh the grand dame <laughs> of these things but mm. junkie i recently watched um uh working girl for mm-hmm. i think the first time all the way through and was wow. shocked and horrified that joan cusack was nominated for best supporting actress in this movie i love joan oh, cusack interesting. love her you know and i should have been nominated for broadcast news if she wasn't i don't know uh, I don't she think she was. was. Not. Yeah, should have been. She was, yeah. um, I mean, it's a small part. I guess. Wonderful, wonderful. But speaking of small parts, it is baffling <laughs> to me that she she plays the perfunctory best friend role in Working Girl. She's about seven lines of dialogue, all of which you know seem to have written themselves. Uh, I'm not saying that she doesn't give them a little extra zhuzhing up, a little of the Joan Cusack magic that like any other actress would have been able to do the same thing with that material. No, but. Uh, this is the kind of thing that anyone who has ever been in a uh, really a romantic comedy of any kind uh, could have delivered. I mean, it's the same performance, the same quality, and truly the most surprising nomination I've ever mold, seen. Though, like, what if it yeah. set the template for before Judy there was Judy Greer? Career? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Judy Greer is definitely like Judy Greer's performance. This may have been the alpha. You know, this may have been the uh, the birth of Judy Greer's career, and for that. Uh, I would say thank you because you know the world's a better We've place than Judy Greer's This is weird because I <laughs> but, I just watched but, In and they and wouldn't Out have known that Joan Cusack's in that too, and she's watched, amazing. You just watched In and Out. Yes, oh which I've yeah, never just, seen in full. Well, oh, she got Oscar nominated for that too. Yeah, well, she the she best did? Oscar nominations of the night. Yeah, it's me. Like that's what because she screams, "I need a heterosexual male." Code Red, and it is the goddamn funniest thing. She also has a very prominent role in that movie. Uh, yes. Which is very good, and uh, <laughs> she's doing more than just Streisand being like, "Oh, he Melanie does. Griffith, like I'm so sorry. I still think you should get back with Alec Baldwin, even though he cheated <laughs> on you." Anyway, um, it, it, I mean, it made no sense to me. Fine movie, lovely actress, one of the most bizarre nominations I can think of. She did not win, um, but I hope she does one day for something. Who knows? Anyway, C.D. Holden, the road to us as the road to Wellville. Excellent podcast. I dropped by to leave a review because twice in the past few weeks, the hosts have talked about how they wish, how they wish there was a movie about the guy who invented cornflakes. <laughs> what? I, was going to... I don't think tw- not two consecutive weeks where we mentioned this and don't I, talk about this I'd movie? argue that no. it's in the subtext of most of the episodes we record. 
Uh, I was going to mention the 1994 <laughs> Alan Parker film, The Road to Wellville, but I see that another listener has already left a review for this exact same reason. Leave it to Fighting the War Room fans to have a good memory of poorly received 90s biopics about serial magnets, and there were so many. Although now that we're living in a world of movies like Air, Blackberry, and Tetris, perhaps there's an argument Parker was oh, ahead of his time. Stealing my thunder here. And you all owe The Road to Wellville a watch for your next quarter quell. Well, C.D. Holden... I hope you are ashamed to know that you had the same take as Matt Patches, it turns out, on uh, this movie was ahead of its time. Um, I'm so proud that we're very well ahead of schedule. We didn't wait for a quarter quell. We jumped right on Road to Wellville. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you know, the only thing that the movie that kept coming to mind watching the Road to Wellville, we'll get to this, but like in terms of there being precedents, was Penny Lane's documentary Nuts about uh, John Romulus Brinkley. Yeah, yeah. The, the Kansas quack doctor from around the same Maybe time Maybe Anthony Hopkins should come back and give the almost the exact same performance, but in the nuts feature As version. long as he brings his fake buck much. teeth, then yeah, why buck not? Teeth wait, wait, um, let's not spoil yeah. our third act. Anyway, because we are going like to be going hard on the road like to Wellville. Like if you would like to read us, leave us a review. And, and yes, if there's ever a time for Patches to refer to his erect penis about uh, the context <laughs> of the movie, I wouldn't have said that certainly... unless we were talking about the sanitarium right. of... Uh, and and nuts... Blackstone on your grave, Patches. Yeah, Nuts uh, <laughs> is definitely thematically related to uh, all of the, 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 the penile-related activity in uh, the... You know, I, I was not... Like, I, you know, whatever. Um, we'll I had always been we'll confusing this movie with fried green tomatoes for some reason. It turns out it's very different. Um, anyway, if you would like to re- leave us a review on iTunes to chide us for our uh, neglect of The Road to Wellville or any other movies about, uh, you know, repressed people and erectile dysfunction and all of that fun stuff, please go on iTunes at Fighting in the War Room. Leave us a review. We'll read it live on the show. Take it away. I think we need next. to pretend to be ignorant of movies and be like, you know, yeah. I wish there was a movie about the All American Girls Baseball League. Like, someone needs <laughs> to make that, and then we get someone needs to make reviews. a movie about that. <laughs> you guys. we can be goaded into watching anything. I know. <laughs> and people uh, leave us reviews, and it all works out. We did get two emails at fitwr.podcast at gmail.com. Uh, neither of them reviews, but if you are, live internationally and are like, why are these Americans keep recommending Road to Wellville when I know of this other <laughs> one? Feel free to email us, fitwr.podcast.podcast at gmail.com. Our two emails we got is, uh, one is from Jacob, and it's titled The Algorithm Knows. It has a screenshot from some sort of web app, maybe Max, uh, but the heading is Popular TV, and the shows are The Big Bang Theory, Friends, South Park, Succession, Young Sheldon, and Rick and Morty. Jacob has circled Succession and Young Sheldon being next to each other and written oh. Patches, David, it seems that both Succession and Young Sheldon are popular TV. Why don't they so do those you. as one show? Like, it's, get it's Young Sheldon in the cast. Yeah, Young Succession. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second email is from Rob, and it is titled, Groundhogs Under the Deck for Matt Patches. This email is intended <laughs> for Patches, though I ended with, with a more general thing. Uh, I don't have a Twitter. Great, Feels great, recommend, but saw his tweet asking if it's okay for a groundhog to live under your deck. How do I you just not wanna... have a Twitter, but you see my tweets? What's going on there? I didn't see there? this tweet, and I oh. do have Twitter. Rob sees everything. Ah, I just want to make sure he receives... Maybe you're like, he's got... He's back to old school homepages, and you're his homepage. Like, your Ooh. Twitter feed. That um, is the nightmare. I want to make sure he receives an alternate perspective from the good one he did receive. A few months after we moved into our house, we woke up one morning to an absolutely ghastly smell. My partner knew it right away. Dead thing smell. 
We searched around the house for hours, then days, as it was approaching some of the hotter days of the summer. We couldn't have our bedroom window open, we'd walk out the front door and instantly smell it. Yo, to save on suspense, that shit was a groundhog who had been living under our deck seemingly for ages, and had crawled into his little home to die. We finally saw it down there, and let me express there's nothing good, fun, or worthwhile slash education about address- educational about addressing a dead groundhog under your deck. So what I mean is, it's fine why they live there, presumably. I don't think they're capable of causing much structural or other damage. So they can carry fleas and ticks, and this is a bad year in ticks, uh, for ticks in Pennsylvania. So presumably also in Jersey, if that's where you still are. Just be ready for the sad, sad downside of having a cute critter living under your house. Also, totally side tangent, if you have a pet, it could make them go ape shit. But I don't know if you're a dog guy. Anyway, I'm blah, thinking blah, blah. about putting my cat's litter, like dirty litter, in under my deck. Does that work? Does that that seems like it would work. Like cat, cat smell. Cat pee would work. Like cat pee is what they use. Well, you're supposed to, to get like bobcat pee or whatever, and you can spray it around there. I'm gonna you're do supposed all to that. What's the latest business. on your groundhog? I yeah. You so I have a groundhog who occasionally makes appearances. I, I was talking to my neighbors uh, the other day, and they're like, "It used to live under our deck, and we, <laughs> we waged war, it, and apparently we now it just lives under outside, my and now it lives under your house." Um, but the reason it's a red flag for me, I have I ever told the story about my youth, my my. Youthful encounter uh, with well, Ra- that's all the time we have for this intro segment. Uh, we <laughs> will fight in the room you want to hear about my trauma? Why are you erasing uh, my not, not during trauma. my sacred both kids are asleep private special time? I want to hear about the groundhog trauma. I'll have, to, I'll have to dangle. Oh, I, I, I okay. Here's my quick story, David. You'll get a chuckle out of this. It's me being tormented by fate. Uh, when I'm just growing up in the middle of Pennsylvania. We had groundhogs burrowing toward our uh, basement. And my dad, being a farmer's boy, was like, we got to get these out. We're going to smoke them out. So we we actually smoked the groundhog out of its hole and it was ostensibly gone. Uh, then the winter rolled around and all of a sudden in February, we started hearing this screeching in our basement. And with well, a warning, we wake up after this night of screeching and our entire house smells of skunk. And the reason is because the open groundhog holes had been inviting to mating skunks. They were mating in our basement. They had breached into the crawl space of our basement. So our entire house reeked of of skunk smell. And I remember going to school. This was fifth grade. I brought my backpack and everything. Wait, are the skunks like spraying each other during? I guess this is what I yeah. I guess a lot of get, things get sprayed around, you know. And I would not think that they would do this. But anyway, of course, we then smoke bombed them. You could buy smoke bombs in the 90s, at least. I'm not sure you could still buy smoke bombs from Home Depot. Wait, this I does have not to sound Google like something I would skunks, do. Are skunks horny for skunk smell? <laughs> but we were blasting rock music trying to get them out, and eventually we smoke bombed them. But here's the thing. Don't kill an animal that's living in a hole in your basement, because when it dies... It decomposes and it's full of maggots. And all of a sudden, our basement was full of house flies. Our entire basement looked carpeted because there were black flies oh, flying Jesus everywhere Christ. in our homes. Um, nature, everybody. So now when I see a groundhog just like having a good time in my backyard, I'm like, are you about to unlock hell? Is this the beginning <laughs> of my fight against Gaia? Uh, so that's where uh, I'm at. Uh, and yet you still like Groundhog Day. I love yeah, but uh, it is a movie where Bill Murray goes over a cliff with the groundhog. That's uh, true. So maybe I get some satisfaction on that. Rob, Rob had another paragraph here, but go ahead, uh, David. Is Googling skunk sex right now? I Google, are, skunks horny, or... I, I, are skunks horny for skunk smell? 
And the results I got from right. Quora are that because Quora poses it in the form of a question. It's like Jeopardy, but useless. Does the skunk smell bad before it's braised? What is it that gives a skunk its odor? Which animal has the best defense? And finally, why does my anus smell like rotten meat? <laughs> David didn't think this was going to be a good story or a can of worms. To rip up the story on the was fine, but, but now he's delighted. Mm. All right. The journey we've been on. Rob continues, absolute left field side side note because it's fresh in my mind. If any of the Fitware hosts is a fan of experimental filmmaker James Benning, if not, look him up. Zach Brack voice, it'll change your life. I've got a good scoop. A net butt of mine did a bootleg res- restoration of his seminal film Ten Skies. It has previously only been watchable on like YouTube and Daily Motion in rough, rough condition, but he did an HD restoration that is really beautiful. And then Rob included a link. And because Rob's nice, I will put the link in the post for this uh, this uh, podcast. Nice. Check it if interested, and maybe give it a shout out if any of you do like it. I'd love, and I'm sure my dude who made it would love for more people to check out Benning and his work. Uh, yeah, I've been seeing a lot of James Benning, like on Letterbox. David, do you spend a lot of time on Letterbox as well, going through what people are watching, or is this just me? I'm just like James Benning, thirteen. 13- lakes people are t- constantly talking about the hot nar- non-narrative experimental documentary 13 lakes on all the kids are into it just static shots of many, lakes uh very let's go very enriching james benning documentaries uh yes i have seen many of his films i have not seen this restoration um but uh i would love to read what the kids are saying about james benning on letterboxd um i started using letterboxd more recently because uh, I used to never look at Letterbox at all. I would just post uh, a copy from my reviews and post links to them. But now when I watch a movie, I will just see what random people are saying on Letterboxd about it. Uh, just to get a, a breadth of the opinions uh, about a film like The Road to Wellville, for example. You're opening your um, heart. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it's a nice little insight into how these movies are traveling. David has learned but, what Letterboxd is. Finally, it's not a one-way street. Aww. So... Yeah, I, I've said this doctor who told me that if I searched reviews of the Road to Wellville on Letterboxd, it would cure my impotence. So uh, I've, been, <laughs> yeah. I've been doing that Cinematic enema right there. <laughs> oh, man. Okay, so since we're already eking into the podcast, we'll get on with it. But make sure if you would like to email us about Groundhogs and uh, film restoration, apparently all is under the umbrella, fitwr.podcast at gmail.com. On with the show. So rolling into this week of movie going, I only knew of two movies I was going to definitely see. One was Elemental, which I got to take a peek at that hopefully we could talk about if one or more of you sees it or we just run out of segments. Uh, The second was uh, Transformers Rise of the Beasts, which is released to the masses. It is in theaters now. You can see it if you want to. I am going to talk about... Uh, a lot of things about it, I- including the ending. I I think you know how this yeah, franchise works. Do the robots <laughs> fight? Oh wait, no, there's robot animals in this one. So do the robot animals fight? Oh yeah, everybody fights. Don't worry Great. about it. There Great. there is a big surprise that is the last line of the movie before the first credits uh, that I'll also be spoiling. But uh, I also got to see uh, two more movies in theaters this weekend because, as previously mentioned, my 
partner is out of town. I'm making my own time. Uh, so I ch um, went and saw um, Wild at Heart on Sunday because I decided not to do Lynch Oz, but they were putting Wild at Heart on uh, as a companion to the Lynch Oz documentary. There's and some strong Wizard of Oz vibes in Wild at Heart. I know oh, there's that much. so much. And I don't know if you guys, I mean, I know because we recently did a Nick Cage month on uh, uh, Trial by Content. But Wild at Heart is one of the movies that's kind of hard to find. You gotta find a physical copy. It's not uh, easily digitally available. Or at least wasn't at the time that I was looking for it. So I was like, hell yeah, see it on the big screen. That gave me a big Twin Peaks itch, but that's not what we're here to talk about. The movie <laughs> I saw Friday night to answer the uh, podcast question posed by an entire segment last week was The Boogeyman. Mm. Hey! I'm The Boogeyman. I'm a Boogeyman. You you sold it okay. Uh, Re-listening to your your description of it, um, I would say it's probably more for teenagers, and that puzzled me uh, a little bit. Especially somebody who knew the original short story and how it sort of focused on a father's like uh, inability to protect uh, his children, probably because of his own fear, uh, which I think is a much more interesting topic than. Dad doesn't believe there's a trauma monster, but the teenager does, uh, which is what the boogeyman turns the story into. So being someone who had seen, you know, Smile last year, I wasn't super surprised by a lot of it. But also like no. Smile, uh, uh, the boogeyman does have an interesting creature design that shows up right like 10 minutes before the end. You're like, oh, this is what it is. That's interesting. I wish I had. Oh, it's dead. And that's that's how the boogeyman. Okay, goes. What's interesting about it? No one at this point yeah. is uh, yeah, spoil, spoil the, the boogeyman. Oh, so like it's supposed to be like a like a, a thing that's on all fours and it kind of runs around and it's all black and it's got glowing eyes and it's got like this mouth that looks like it has like knuckles on it. Anyway, and it turns out when it's killing somebody, uh, it opens up its mouth and then a whole other tiny torso comes out with little hands and grabs the cheeks of its victim and whispers that everything will be okay while sucking its essence out wow. into its mouth. But it it's whispers like in, a, a, in like a human voice? Yeah, yeah. it's going to be okay? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's a traumatizing imagery, but I was not expecting another torso inside the mouth of the, the monster. You know, I, I thought I'd seen it all with the Alien franchise, but apparently there's more room for more torsos inside the mouths of creatures. Uh, that's what the boogeyman suggests. I don't know. Fine. Fine. Not bad. Not great. Boogeyman is fine. Uh, but that brings us to Transformers Rise of the Beast, which is... Uh, <clears throat> we thought it was a sequel to Bumblebee, which came out five years ago, starring Haley Stanfield. It was sort of a return to form for the Transformers franchise because it wasn't about Michael Bay squashing a whole bunch of CG together with a nonsense plot and unlikable human characters. Uh, Bumblebee had, had, a, had, a, had a great main character. So Bumblebee here comes sucked, this... though, right? Come on. David, did I you mean... see Bumblebee? Yeah. Uh, Not good, uh, right? It was pleasant enough. Haley Steinfeld, she's good. Bumblebee sucks, though. I'm over Bumblebee. Yeah, I, I mean, I was going to surprise the Is Bumblebee, is Bumblebee for me. in this one? He is. He gets killed pretty quickly. Oh. Um... Which sets the tone for how serious we are. They're like, you like this character? Fucking Wait, dead. Bumblebee really, really is are. killed in this movie? Uh-huh. 
I mean, don't worry. He's he'll he'll be fine by the end. But yes, <laughs> I was grieving. Thank you. <laughs> that was a close one. Um. Uh, so this one takes place in 1994, presumably in the same timeline, because at one point Bumblebee does mention liking humans because he there's one that he knew that was nice to him. But Optimus Prime is still, if you remember vaguely, the premise of the first Transformers uh, does not trust humans. Um, mm. even though the Autobots are taking refuge uh, on Earth. This How do you movie... know it's 1994 in the movie? Do they go to see uh, the Road to Wellville in theaters? <laughs> uh, there's, a, there's a big shot of uh, New York City Twin Towers right in the center, and oh, then okay. a digital title that says 1994 uh, mm. clicks on with some uh, 90s hip-hop. Uh, this, this, you know, notorious like B.I.G. all over this movie. Sure. Yeah, it's fine. We meet uh, Anthony Ramos's character, Noah Diaz. He uh, has been uh, used to be part of the military. He's uh, not anymore. Uh, he has a sick little brother who has sickle cell anemia. Uh, leukemia? Sickle cell leukemia. No, uh, sickle cell anemia. anemia. Oh, okay, 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 good. I said it Unless right. he has a he really bad thing, which is, that sounds awful. Right, no, they definitely... Uh, talk around it by like one time his hand his hand seizes up while he's playing his game boy and uh anthony ramos is like it must be those sickle sickle cells clogging up your veins <laughs> and so that that's how we know uh what cool. his disease is otherwise he's just sick uh i'm glad i wrote that down in my notes because it was early enough in the movie that i thought things might be important uh <laughs> don't worry about it it's not uh, our other main human character uh is uh played by dominique fishback i do don't remember her character's name uh it's not important she is uh working as a research assistant at a museum uh that has got she's smarter than her the person she's assisting and uh she's Classic. always getting called in to verify the things that her boss is going to tell more important people uh they get a statue of a bird that they think is like some Egyptian artifact. And she's like, no, the culture wouldn't exist in the blah, blah, blah. Late at night, she sneaks in to investigate on her own, breaks it open. Oh my God. It's a piece of ancient transformer equipment that sends out a beacon that brings our villains to earth and wakes up the Autobots. That always seems uh, to happen. Wait, so the auto, all the Autobots are on earth already. Is that? Yes. Right? Although there's only four that are roped into this. Uh, this 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 adventure and the and the and the prime what are the primals or what are the maximals the maximals are already on earth I'm so a beast what, what the fuck is it what um, is a maximal a maximal is, animals? is the, is the <laughs> box, i'm gonna yeah. learn i'm gonna learn this someday you need to go the, back and watch the beast wars cartoons from the late 90s i, guess I, Your kids I mean you, you go back to you could. college the reason i haven't got into the maximals too much yet is because there is a prologue with them where we see them get the trans warp key and they have to uh save their save all other planets because the trans warp key basically mm -hmm. allows you to mm -hmm. teleport uh so we get to see unicron destroy their planet as they blast off unicron uh -huh. how does a guy unicron, named unicron the, the, command any respect the planet size transformer <laughs> yes who how does he get Michael, respect what are you talking not about? a unicorn he's not a unicorn yeah, yeah. <laughs> not a unicorn. Michael, stop calling me that he was voiced in by Michael, Orson Welles in the original Transformers movie. 
In, in, a, in Michael Bay's series, uh, Unicron was Earth, and there was always a threat of him awakening, but we didn't actually get to do it. But this one, Unicron just shows up. He's definitely planet-sized. He has two big yellow eyes that Stop stand in for us size. knowing he's looking at us. <laughs> um, uh. Anyway, so the, the Maximals have gone to Earth. They've hidden this key. Uh, <laughs> research assistant uh, has uh, found the key. Uh, this happens to coincide with uh, Anthony Ramos's Noah stealing a car so he could get money to pay the hospital bills uh, for mm. his brother. That car ends up being Pete Davidson's Mirage as Pete Davidson elbows his way into another he's stupid mega main, franchise movie. He's the main bot of this movie, right? He has he's like the a main bot. Yeah. Wow, okay. So we, uh, we, have, we have Mirage, we have RC... We have uh, Optimus Prime. Uh, those are the one, the returning. Uh, or, sorry, Optimus Prime's uh, Optimus Prime and RC are the returning ones. Mirage is new. We get to see uh, Wheeljack, uh, which has this weird thing about how he has a Mexican accent, and, mm. and like Mirage asks him if he's like Spanish, and it it turns into like a weird joke about you could call Transformers racists. It's weird. Uh, we also meet uh, Stratosphere, who is a, a cargo plane, so they could go to Peru, because it turns out they only have half the key, they need to go get the other key in Peru, and when they go to Peru, that's where they eat the other, meet the other Maximals, so there's the Optimus Primal, he's the ape, boast by R Ron Perlman, uh, there's... Uh, so wait, the, the main animal is just named Optimus Primal? Yes, because the cool. legend of see, Optimus Prime on there? Cybertron uh -huh, I kinda did. has spread, so he's been named in honor of Op Optimus Prime. Why do they, they mention this disguise themselves as animals? I don't remember uh, this from Beast Wars. Uh, well, actually, I do. I guess they were just in prehistoric times and they decided to be animals. They didn't have cars then. Here's the important thing, Patches. Not explained in this movie. Nobody asks. <laughs> Who cares? <laughs> we look like animals. Fuck you, Optimus Prime. Don't ask. Yeah. Uh, also, I don't think the um, bad guys who are the Terracons, they are the ones who are uh, serving uh, uh, Unicron, but Unicron's a huge, so he, they, he sends normal-sized Transformers, which are, of course, like 30, 30 feet tall. Terracons don't transform, they're just robots. Do we get, uh, do we get like, in the second Fantastic Four movie... Uh, shots of Unicron chilling outside of Earth's atmosphere and orbit, just looking enormous? Uh, no, because uh, finally... Okay, they failed their mission. Because we they got that of Galactus in uh, the most, the most fucking loathsome and obnoxious card in all of Marvel Snap in the second <laughs> Tim Story Fantastic Four movie. I love that. And yeah. I appreciated that. I have a good Galactus time. I also have a good time with Galactus in Marvel <laughs> Snap. But... <laughs> Uh, so they fail their mission. Uh, there's a sky portal in a volcano in Peru where they have to fight. Uh, it turns out Mirage has been keeping in contact with Anthony Ramos's brother. So they uh, get in, they get like close to each other. Mirage seemingly sacrifices himself uh, for uh, Anthony Ramos. But instead... They call back to something that was in the original animated Transformers movie, and I've been waiting for them to actually do this in a live-action Transformers movie. It's just way too late in this film. Uh, Mirage isn't all dead. He's just very badly hurt. 
So he becomes a mech suit for Anthony Ramos to fight the big bad by himself uh, in a Power Rangers-like cool. suit. I mean, it's, it's at least something from the original Transformers that remains the same. Everything else here is just this goo fight. Anyway, I mean, they figure it out. Uh, yeah, go, go on. No, go on, please. Ra rap Uni on the, the epic tale that's unfolding here. Unicron sticks his head through the little portal and looks down at Earth, but we don't get to actually see him full size next to Earth. Presumably that'll happen in some future Transformers thing, because Unicron survives. Uh, but his mistake is the energy that it takes to pull him through sends a shockwave through all the latent Transformium that's throughout the Earth, and they happen to have buried Bumblebee <laughs> please, on please Transformium. Is so that Bumblebee, a thing that's existed before Transformium? Uh, I, maybe I don't. I don't know. It's, Dave, is this yeah. movie good? Uh, you, there's a lot of plot, but it, mm -hmm. it sounds like just a kind of another turn of the wheel for this very strange franchise that Michael Bay has abandoned and Bumblebee kind of kicked the can. It, it wasn't big, but like, I don't know. Is there life? Oh, th this is this is, is pointing this... in a direction. I haven't got to the reason this movie exists, which is actually <laughs> at the very end. I know. I, I mean, you'll get there, but is it good? Like, were you having a good time watching all this nonsense unfold? Is the action fun? Is the Pete Davidson goofball banter goofball so, enough? I don't know. Yes, by the time we get to the action, I do actually like the action. It's about as well rendered as you've seen in trailers, because there isn't a ton of action uh, like I was expecting. Uh, instead, one of the Terracons sort of sheds two small Velociraptor-sized robots that do most of the actual chasing. So when we do actually get to... Transformers and Maximals versus Terracrons and Unicons coming through the sky, it gets to that level. Uh, but a lot of the middle section of this movie is us trying to uh, feel about the Transformers in a way, or, you know, obviously develop the human characters, which I appreciate. But I don't know why we have to keep reestablishing that Optimus Prime is good. It's like, that's, if you know one thing about Transformers, it's that Optimus Prime is good. Anyway. Uh, I do know that. He feels like we could be a great people if we wish to be. Yes, exactly. Uh, it all happens. They have to sacrifice the transwarp core or whatever. Transwarp key, uh, which also means the Autobots can't go home, which we know because I thought we've seen other movies that take place later in time in this franchise. But I was wrong because this is not actually something that is a sequel to a prequel. This is kicking off a new line of Transformers because at the end of this movie, Anthony Ramos applying for a job, still trying to pay for his uh, brother's hospital bills because he's just secretly saved the war, uh, the world from robot aliens. Nobody really knows what's happened. Uh, he has an interview with a man in a suit who tells him, don't worry about his uh, brother. He's going to get the best treatment uh, that's possible. And would he like to join a, uh, you know, secret government organization that uh, handles aliens and uh, global level threats. And Anthony Ramos is like, oh, maybe. And he gets a card. And I'm thinking this is like the Section 6 or whatever they used to call the Transformers specific section in the Bayverse, 
but he flips the card over and there's a recognizable logo as Anthony Ramos goes, G.I. Joe. And that's how the movie ends, because <laughs> it is now a Transformers G.I. Joe hybrid Hasbro universe. They did it. They I can't believe they did didn't something. do this in 2010. <laughs> yeah, so the Lorenzo Ventura universes collide in a desperate attempt to make make this stuff work. It's so weird because Paramount has been, you know, flying high after that bad metaphor there and with maverick and i don't know they're having a lot of luck i'm surprised to see paramount have this swing back uh, at in the theaters and now they're doing transformers again uh, i guess they'll do gi joe again after snake eyes totally bombed and lorenzo de bonaventura still running these franchises as someone who would hire robert schwecky to direct installments of them just so depressing it's 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 not going well it doesn't seem like and I guess this movie got um who's the director Stephen Copper Jr. did Creed 2 like okay mm -hmm. that's different let's like veer it into I don't know it doesn't sound like it has a direction I, I thought it would have more flavor and and more of a stamp on it but it sounds like just more of the same I don't know if people I mean, need that this is what people are showing up for I think so are I don't want to say I mean I don't I mean I I can't imagine if you wanted the Transformers movies to be about something like people liked, you know, quote unquote, Bumblebee, and they liked the first one because it's sort of like kid gets their first car, ends up being a Transformer. The rest of the movies are all this type of nonsense. So they obviously think this type of nonsense is what sells because it like you're you're straight into the Transwarp key and Maximals on another planet, but they look like apes. And it's like, no questions. We're just this is how it goes. And very quickly, the humans are like, well, you know, if this is about Earth, this is about saving everybody like a course I'm in. And I'm like, dude, you are just stealing cars like you're going to now jet to Peru for with like. So I, I this is a I saw it on Saturday morning. It's the Saturday morning cartoon. It makes as much sense as any of these ever made sense. So I don't want to chalk it but there's up. There's no calm man. That. That's what I'm waiting for as a fan. Where's is that Cog the one that Man? got stuck under the robot balls, or is that the racist one? Uh, oh, Cogman was Anthony Hopkins' assistant, right? This was the last night, yes. Anthony Hopkins, star of The oh, Road to Wellville. He was in the last night where Unicron <laughs> was Earth, and Cog he had a butler named Cogman who went, Hello! I oh, I didn't see that one. I remember you talking about Cogman. He plays maybe. the organ. I'm still Mark stuck Wahlberg's on Transformers 2 that got hit by the writer's strike. That's uh, my main memory here. Yeah, uh, so maybe they need a harder reboot if uh, they want these things to be, I don't know, actual movies. And uh, it's going to sound dumb, but honestly, maybe G.I. Joe and Transformers is a direction that saves us from more of this. Uh, because then at least maybe there are humans that I care about. Like, I love me some Anthony Ramos' sad face, but that and Dominique Fishback, they just... Dave, do we? Yeah, I genuinely and I mean this admire that you can find so much to chew on in Transformers Rise of the Beasts. On the other hand, no segment in the history of our show has ever needed to end more than this one does right now. Wow, oh, we haven't even got to Road to Wellville. Anyway, Transformers <laughs> segment, Rise of the Beasts. The segment, not the episode. It's 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 setting up uh, the G.I. Joe crossover. And that's the most important thing to know about it. But also this movie made money, so I don't know if any of your recommendations for how to fix it are going to be listened to. 
I mean, also, they don't have to. If this is the rut they want to be in, like, I will watch one of these every five years on Saturday morning. That's fine with Just me. Just let I, the record show that I saw and somewhat positively reviewed Snake Eyes. Am I the only one who watched the Tonys? Anybody else watch them? I watched parts of the Tonys. Okay, I, I didn't watch the whole Tonys. Uh, but it was really interesting because they did it without writers. And they kind of got permission from the WGA to have the show at all. I don't honestly know, like, what the protocol is. Like, if you don't get permission, is it technically writing, uh, crossing a picket line just to go? But basically the WGA was like, yeah, theater needs this help. Let's do it. Um, so they had a show with no writers, which meant Ariana DeBose was basically improvising anytime she was out there to speak. And so she goes out and... Instead of doing a monologue, she does a dance number because she's a dancer uh, and then kind of gets out and says like things about how much people love theater, honestly, in a way that did not seem that indistinguishable from other host patter. Um, but then at other points in the show, you know, she's out in the audience doing crowd work with Limo and Miranda and she looks at notes on her arm. She's like, I don't know what these say anymore. So please welcome whoever's about to come on stage. And then the next pair of presenters come on stage. I like that even with uh, without writers, the writers are like, you could do this, you could just do it, do it without writers. So like, we're going to keep the crowd the crowd work segment, yeah. though. That's <laughs> Well, she's also like, I need help. Who do I know in the audience? I'm going to go talk to <laughs> well, you for a it, while. It turns out that the writing has always been the worst part of any award show. Yeah. I mean, so. writing an award show has to be incredibly hard. And, you know, they had the presenters come out and basically instead of having like a, a bit of joke, they say, hello, I'm Lily Ray, but I'm whoever she presented with someone. I can't remember who it was. Um, but hearing how actors pronounce their own names is very helpful as someone who interviews them sometimes and have that like momentary panic before the interview that I'm going to mispronounce their name. Very helpful. Um and then, like, instead of having, like, I mean, they would have performances. That's the great benefit of the Tonys, is that you get the people, like, from their Broadway show, they come down and perform. Let's so say have Leah Michelle doing uh, Don't Rain in My Parade and Ben Platt doing Never a big see song. that anywhere else. Uh, <laughs> I feel like, I feel like you could not look anywhere without seeing Leah Michelle perform Don't Rain on My Parade, and that's been true and for you know about 15 what? years. She's, she's still doing it. Um, so yeah, that stuff doesn't require a script and neither do dance numbers. And then, you know, going into commercial breaks, they would have cut to backstage where like all the people dressed up in their costumes for the next performance would like be wildly applauding for the people who just come off stage. Um, there was this, this great, like shaggy energy to it. And I think the Oscars couldn't do this for, you know, they don't have the performances. There's lots of reasons they can't. Um, but I like just seeing an award show kind of have to reinvent itself because I think, even for lunatics like me who love award shows, I can admit well, that the format is kind of can get stale and seeing the Tony's forced to, to rethink it a little bit was great. My, my most burning question to both you and Patches, although if Dave is able to answer this, I certainly welcome him to try. Uh, have either of you seen any of the shows that were nominated? I saw Into the Woods. OK, well, that was not the my, one that I was hoping you'd be able to. This is an extreme yeah. uh, love I mean, these days. Because I, I find my, I found myself watching the show in a bit of uh, an unpleasant spot, which is sort of antithetical to what I believe in, uh, which is as someone who has not been to the theater since before my first child was born uh, three and a half years ago. There was a pandemic and other factors. But I think the last thing I saw was like the ferryman. Um, the musicals looked just beyond awful. And I understand really? that. I, yeah, I mean, I understand like, that Kimberly Kimbo is, is yeah. people rave about Kimberly Kimbo and 
based on a play sure and people who i know and respect and trust have seen it and been greatly moved by it i wholeheartedly believe that if i saw the show i would probably be swept up in it but i felt the way that someone who like doesn't who like has a I don't know, doesn't watch movies as like maybe some sort of hostility towards the movies. They can't go to the movies feels watching some of the more esoteric Oscar clips, maybe like watching the I think and judging by Twitter, they picked the worst possible song to show off Kimberly Kimbo, even though it sort of explains the name of the show. But uh, man, I was like, I would never pay to leave the house to see this shit. And then I did the shock (laughs) thing. I'm like, maybe shock. You know, I I get it. I saw Town. I can understand a. Uh, a silly premise and how you can wring something more meaningful out of it. But watching that, I was like, how is this real? Like, how? I, I don't know. I hated feeling I that shocked. way. I mean, uh, you okay, gotta give Shucked credit for being one of the few original <laughs> musicals on Broadway right now. If you go right. walk yeah, around 42nd many. Street, it is bleak, man. I mean, uh, we're talking about the Back to the Future musical or Katie's about to see some of it. It's just like, okay, I mean, it Some didn't Like It play Hot musical well on was one of the, was the, the biggest End. nominee. Yeah, I, this is, it's not a good time for the, the musical arts and it's depressing to walk because around for place... Street and see, you know, uh, the... uh, sorry. Yeah, go. I was just—I was surprised by—I how, was surprised by how few. I don't know anything about theater. I was very surprised by how few plays premiere in a season. There were like there are eighteen new plays. I guess that that may be a lot. I don't know. I didn't realize that you're basically picking best Tony from the same size pool that you're picking like the Palm d'Or uh, at Cannes. Um, but uh, the plays look interesting. Leopoldstadt, I love to see. Uh, Fat Ham, I hear, is amazing. Um, the uh, parade is a musical that I never knew was about oh. anti-Semitism. Uh, it's but the, I, I love, love, I, I, love I thought it was parade. about a parade because I'm a show. fucking dumb dumb. But I was like, oh, that hey. song they did from parade was great. <laughs> what song uh, did they do? Fine. I don't even but, know. They did. Uh, this is only the end. This is not the end. Uh, it's like a duet between the oh about couple. the wife of the yes yeah, the yeah yeah this yeah is when he's trying to get but well if you don't know I'm not going to explain the whole damn show. He's anyway, told that he's not going to jail just yet. Leo Frank, yeah. Georgia. It was Leo Frank. It was not. Um, it was not a spectacular advertisement for particular no. shows. Was my take. Well, okay, David. I want to say two. I want to yeah. say two things. First of all, you were a deep skeptic about Hamilton until you saw the whole thing, and you're like, "Oh wait, this is Hamilton true." Is I do not. Deny. And I think. I think a lot of Broadway is like that, where you see that a context, uh, and you're not like enveloped in it. You're just like, "This looks stupid." Uh, and I feel the same way about the Avatar movies, not to be a broken record about the Avatar movies, but you see a clip from them and you're like, what the fuck, blue people? And then you watch 10 minutes of it. You're like, oh, a minute. I love it. And I think uh, Broadway can be that way, too. I don't, dis- I don't disagree. I was just wondering, uh, you know, if you guys had any personal experience with these particular shows, if you could shine some uh, some light. Sweeney Todd. I saw Into the Woods, which uh, if you want to start coming for it, go for it. But uh I guess as long as Sondheim is in full there. rotation at all times, Broadway <laughs> it's is fine. Sondheim out there to choose from. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, Tony's. We're good. Good watch. Maybe want to go see some plays. All right, to wrap up this uh, this podcast, we're digging into a highly anticipated a segment here. We're going to we be talking know. about a film that we all discovered <laughs> and that a lot of our listeners knew about. It's called 
the road to Wellville to 1994, as alluded to in our Transformers segment. Uh, comedy, drama, biopic-ish, maybe? We'll get into what exactly yeah. this movie is is aiming for, genre-wise, but it is definitely about uh, John Harvey Kellogg, the serial man who, you know, more of a of a clean living, you know, vegetarian, promoting, enema taking, sanitarium running entrepreneur um, who turned Battle Creek, Michigan into like the serial capital of the world. And he was bringing people from around the nation to come kind of get their lives cleansed. Um, and this is, there's a lot of interesting material there historically, you know, at the turn of the 20th century, uh, what's going on with people? Why is this such a movement? And, and this movie uh, takes, uh, uh, some strange turns. I don't think I expected from all of the people telling us, you got to see the Kellogg movie. You got to see the Kellogg movie. I'm like, okay, let's all watch the Kellogg movie. Oh wait, it's a sex comedy version of a cure for wellness. Like this is not, <laughs> this is not what I was expecting. It's a big movie. It's a flashy movie. It's an expensive movie. I, I don't know Definitely the price tag on this movie. It but... cost, it cost 25 million in 1994 dollars. And surprisingly, not that this would make any of its investors happy, made $26 million back <laughs> in $94. Yeah. Yeah, this, uh, I mean, but the, the movie seems really, I mean, they built a lot of sets. It seems like they built a lot of period sets that people oh, are running sorry. around. They built a lot of, uh, well, I'm sorry. Quick note about the sets. I'm sorry. That the vast majority of this movie was filmed in the Mohonk Mountain House, uh, yeah. which oh, is in New York. York. Oh, okay. uh, near in near Hudson, where my wife Which and I is huge like to and go makes um, all the time, and uh, I would be lying if I said I didn't have some undue uh, personal affection for any movie that features this much footage of the Mohawk Mountain House. I would not go around telling people that you had a, a lot of affection and uh, you were romanticizing <laughs> your trip with your wife while watching. The road to Wellville. It was oh, just it was oh. just like this one, right? It was exactly like this. <laughs> How many yeah, Amazons did you have? <laughs> Anthony Hopkins is running around with fake. I was teeth wearing my steampunk masturbation machine while we were having a ditty. Um yeah, but here here as our one of our reviewers uh, uh alluded to at the top, this is an interesting movie to talk about right now. It's not completely out of the blue because we are in this moment where not just people, it's not just a biopic explosion, although I think a lot of these movies that have come out in the last year are riding the heels of of the musical biopic, like the Rocket Man's, and I can't even remember the Queen biopic that came out. What is the fucking title of the Queen Bohemian biopic? Rhapsody. Uh, Bohemian, there Bohemian it is. Rhapsody. Chris, um, I think the movies like Air, Blackberry, Tetris. Did you know we're getting a Beanie Baby movie later this yeah. summer? Sorry, is it a movie or a documentary? Well, I yeah. It's a movie. Uh, we're getting Beanie Babies movies, but this this Road to Wellville is kind of like that. It's it's not really about John Harvey Kellogg. It's not a biopic, although there are some flashbacks to his his younger days trying to be a dad. Um, it's really about <laughs> some, some very necessary flashbacks that have a huge yep. dramatic payoff. Yep, yep. Uh, but what what do you what do you guys make of? Do you see a connection between Air Blackberry trying to make? Uh, movies out of products and moments or what i don't know how we got to this thing where we want to explore how all this stuff well, in our lives are made but this movie takes a totally different attack to getting there because it's not played straight this is not like a bunch of guys in a room figure things out i, I, and I we're see creating a cure for I, 
I certainly yeah. see the relationship between you know this movie and the ones that you describe and that our listener described. I'm trying and to figure out why this movie I, exists. Yeah, you know, I'd be lying if I said Don't that I wasn't me. thinking along the same lines when I watched it. But just for the fairness sake, this movie is a lot, lot, lot less concerned with cornflakes as they eventually became. I mean, there's like a weird B plot about trying to invent them and they taste like dog shit and even the pigs won't also eat them. Also, has so much relevance but, to the main plot of the movie. Exactly. Um, you can't make a movie about flakes. George. You can't make a movie about Doctor Henry Kellogg. Uh, without um, without doing something about cornflakes, but it does not have the same relationship to cornflakes as say Air does to the Air Jordan. Yes, unless John Cusack's cornflakes actually turn out but to is be that, a viable product. Which I don't does that make this movie better? Like, do we? This movie was reviled back in 1994. <laughs> I was reading some of the like New York Times in ni- in the 90s was running worst of uh, the year list. I don't think they do that so much anymore. <laughs> but this was uh, prominently featured. This movie did not wow. go well. It was directed by and written by Alan Parker, who has a pretty good resume. You know, he directed uh-huh. Pink Floyd, The Wall, Fame. I mean, Bugs Me His Malone, movie after this was Evita. Evita, yeah, kind was, of a hit, Oscar he, he friendly. He didn't get sent to director jail after this one. Maybe after Evita, he got no, sent to director jail. No, because I did Angela's Ashes. <laughs> then he died. I mean, there was a reason to make this movie in the 90s. It was it was based on a pretty popular audiences love horny Matthew Broderick. And and they want to see fart jokes, lots and lots (laughs) of on screen farting. No, I I mean, you could imagine why Alan Parker makes the Kellogg story based on a satirical novel would would be money in the bank or at least an Oscar play. Mm -hmm. This movie is not going for that. What is this movie trying to do? As I, I, I will repeatedly ask myself throughout this segment. Like what is the? It's I mean, a comedy, right? Like we're we're here it, to laugh. And also, we're here it comes to from a time. Fun. It comes from a beautiful time in American history where many things are wrong with this country. But one thing that was right was that people were able to make movies, well furnished, expensive movies with movie stars that didn't necessarily try to do something. That we're, <laughs> we're making glancing commentaries about capitalism and uh, sexual wellness and how gullible. I mean, and I think the whole wellness industry is something that's very relevant today in terms of making fun of it. And, and You could do the Goop uh, version about, of this movie. Yeah, it's exactly. You could do the Goop version yeah. of it. Um, they should. They should all they should do a more word for farting movies. Yeah. Um, with Anthony Hopkins playing Gwyneth Paltrow with fake teeth. And um yeah i mean it's it's not wildly dissimilar this is a universal but also particularly american phenomenon that has existed in different iterations across the history of this country and continues to and will continue to Uh, i'd say donald trump is not wildly far removed from this um and uh it all stems you know in this movie from uh kellogg's own sexual hang-ups uh, and all these things are sort of like interesting in their own way. It's a very strange stew that they all have made together, I would say. We might be a little ahead of not, ourselves. But uh, Katie, I was going to ask you to to set this up a little bit from because we keep we mentioned Matthew Broderick is in this. Anthony Hopkins is in this. We'll definitely talk about what he's doing here. But I'm guessing many, many people who listen to this podcast have not seen this as we had we had not. It is streaming That's on true. Peacock, so if you want to go watch it and then oh, hear us Peacock? talk more about it, yeah, I could have watched it without Pluto TV's horrible ad breaks. I'm Ooh, so mad. Yeah, they're not well placed. <laughs> I love you, Pluto, Ooh. but that's not the thing. Uh, but what what no. what is the entry? This <laughs> movie, like, what is it about? In your, words? I mean, so it's all set at uh, not really about cornflakes. It's kind of after the invention of cornflakes. He's running the sanitarium in Battle Creek, Michigan, where 
uh, this couple, Matthew Broderick and Bridget Fonda, have come. She's kind of like a, you know, she'd be a goop devotee, and he is her husband, and you learn over time why he has a bad stomach. Although, honestly, I kind of, like, forget all of the steps that led him to this point where he's incapacitated. No, it's because and he's, he's, she's been, she turned him into a heroin addict like, after the I death know. of their child. Yeah. It's by like, it's, by drugging his, because uh, he was like. Yeah, yeah, she was. I mean, this is all played for laughs. It's, it's <laughs> hilarious. But it's a hilarious she, bit on the train where he only wants to eat toast or something. She's yeah, been drugging. It's a hard. It's hard to parse, but she's been like drugging his drink at night with opium, yeah. juice but of you the see, poppy. Because he was a drunk um, before that, and then after that, he becomes a drunk again. I think. It, anyway, was so he drunk or was he just like overcome with grief over the death of their child? It's I hard to say, but the right. death of their child does not seem to loom large over both. their lives. No. Uh, so they're going there on their way. They meet John Cusack, who is arriving in Battle Creek. He's coming to Battle Creek so that he can make his own version of cornflakes. I guess other people made cereal in Battle Creek. That part is very unclear, like the cereal industry aspect of it. But so there, there's a, whole there's like a banner with... hanging over the main street about it being like the cereal capital of the world or some such. Sure. So I was John reading, Cusack wait, I need to, to eject here on, on the, on the cereal the front. No, no, this is very important. I was doing some research about Battle Creek, and there was a great, like, 25 years later revisiting of the road to Wellville, and the headline on the Battle Creek Inquirer read, Battle Creek reluctant to revisit the road to Wellville 25 <laughs> years later. <laughs> I guess they were really excited to have Serial Town uh, highlighted it's in also, Hollywood. Serial Town may have been a, a better title for this. I understand it's based on a book that was also called The Road to Wellville, but it doesn't change the fact that The Road to Wellville is a terrible title for a movie. Yeah, and it's not, not really that relevant Wellville. to this movie at all. So I apologize. John John Cusack's trying to make his own serial. He teams up with uh, Michael Lerner, who's kind of an obvious no good Nick, and then eventually really David Harvey. Oh yeah, not good. Uh, not who is no, he, he's he, the character is up to no good. Um, no, the then Dana Carvey shows up as uh, Kellogg's uh, ne'er do wells adopted son, who shows up to get money <laughs> and is in. Um, we might need to do a whole Dana Carvey sidebar. I don't know. He's like, in a, he is in a Saturday Live sketch. Not gonna do it. Somehow everyone else is not doing it. Okay, so Matthew Broderick. And Bridget Fonda get basically gets separated when they get there. He just keeps having sexual fantasies about every single woman who comes by him. Uh, while no, she I don't blame him for that. Kid. I mean, I was going to uh, say, I mean, they're all... They're all they're historically hot. inaccurate. <laughs> Even though Laura Flynn Boyle has a green face, she's still hot. Um, and then, uh, there's a great, There's a great joke in the movie where he walks into her room and her, her green face is covered by a sheet, but her breasts are hanging out and he's gawking mm-hmm. at her and he looks back and she says, are you looking at my face? Get out of here. Are you looking at my face? <laughs> <laughs> and bearded Matthew Broderick's like, uh, 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 this is a I whole mean, cartoon. It's a, movie- it's a cartoon. As the movie goes, so, like, I think the movie, like, it wants you to see things like enemas, like, some of this stuff is being obviously ridiculous, but, like, I don't think it has a lot to say about, like, wellness of the early 20th century other than, like, they did some silly stuff, especially because, like, the end message of the movie is, like, everyone just needed to have sex. Like, What about its, what about its, feminist, it, uh, its feminist agenda? Dare I, say, I guess it wants women to have sex also that them I mean, because Cameron Manheim is there as basically a character from the 90s being like, women deserve to have sex and to enjoy the sex that they have. And you're like, she okay, loves riding great. her bike. Uh, and getting clitoral massages from this German guy who, like, recites German poetry. Well, I mean, and this, like, all happened in the turn of the century, as far as I know. Like, the, like, women having orgasms was seen as, like, a medical treatment. Uh, this movie kind of got on my nerves real bad. Like, there's too much going on in this movie. It's It's a lot of movie. Do you know, Matthew Broderick, like, no, like, he's very naked in this movie. And, like, he looks fine, but, like, 
Why did the poor guy have to just be naked and wearing this what? like weird diaper there's thing no pee. half the time? Yeah, there's, there's, like, no there's no penis. There's no penis. No penis. I know. He's wearing a lot of diapers. Here's a movie that is all about having three sheets of the wind. It would have been so much stronger, even though there are a surprising amount of tits in this movie, more than I expected from any movie. And jiggling man film. butts. I thought there's a, quite uh, a there's few. Yeah, a lot. Of, there's well, so it's, much it's very into making fun of fat people. Like, there's a, that's kind of like an ongoing thing, man. Look at these naked fat people. Get but at the same massage. time, do you think like, it's making fun of them, that fat people, or do you think it's like, yes, yes. look at, look, it's we can put fat people on it. screen? No, no, it's definitely was, using it as right, being, look at all these ridiculous I, know, I was reading something that Cameron Manheim was saying about, you know, empowerment. Like, she was, she had not been naked even from one other person in a number of months or years, whatever, since when they were filming this movie. And then she was on set and forced to get naked in front of dozens of people at the same time. And she found something empowering about the idea of, like, if uh, if someone with her body type wasn't there to sort of bear all or as much as the movie would allow her to, then... Uh, no one else out there who looks like her will feel um, that they can do that. And so, I mean, there's, I'm not sure if that comes across in the movie, but there's an element of that in the water. Um, That's like that across the Spider-Verse line where Gwen Stacy's like, Dad, I know... And if you don't put on the badge, somebody else worse will. Yeah, that is no, the bad that's boy. that's a false that's, that, that's that line is quite sweaty, but let's not, uh, I come here not to to drag uh, I mean, a movie here's that what, I really if, liked. If, if that actress felt like that in a movie that was then also forwarding that point of view, then I think it would be much more valid. Yes. The problem uh, with this movie is it sets up things that I would actually be interested in. There's a great critique of what capitalism does to people. There's a great <laughs> crit- critique about how, you know, like, a sexless depressed marriage uh could be repaired and there's i think some good critiques about john harvey kellogg before they start radically changing history but as soon as they actually check in which again is like 15 20 minutes in it's like oh you didn't know you signed up for a bad sex farce because that's what this is it is a horribly written sex farce but don't you, well, i would I, not say i mean horribly <laughs> written in the macro sense perhaps in terms of how all of these misshapen pieces don't really fit together in a meaningful way. But on a scene-by-scene basis, I have to say I found <laughs> the absurdly written characters uh, kind of enjoyable and the dialogue spicy enough and clever in its way. Yeah. Um, I mean, this is just a few notches away from being from... the master, right? Like, uh... <laughs> sure. uh, no, <laughs> I don't know about that. A few big, big notches. <laughs> There's... Uh, but like, it, it, yeah. I mean, first of all, uh, uh, you know, uh, Alan Parker did, you know, bring all the filmmaking acumen here. The sets, the costumes. They get a lot out of one location for the most part. I mean, they really. And I mean, that train looks fantastic. Any movie that opens the train, like an antique train that looks that good. It starts with immediately two stars. You can't go any lower than that. All the extras, the, the way that the town looks, you know, like dirty, but also delicious and the the sanitarium uh doesn't necessarily look sterile but does feel like very confining uh even though you know they're supposed to be like out and about like i got all of that it's just in service to he's throwing boxes of shit jokes like that's what this is all in service to so by the time we get to like the end uh there's sort of like a epilogue where we wrap up everybody's story and it's like, and nobody learned anything. All right, <laughs> you know hey. what? I, they no, they yeah, learned to have sex with each other. The married couple learned to have sex and make four beautiful children. I didn't know that's what this movie was about. 
I when mean, was I supposed to know that's what this movie was about? That was the, the vibe I got by the end of the movie. The monologue of I accidentally there. turned my husband into an opium, <laughs> an opium addict, addict because I didn't like Listen. how much he wanted to have sex when he was drunk, depressed. That Listen, is like people... a really serious monologue that turns into a scene where she is getting a clitoral massage with her friend while... Uh, <laughs> Well, one of my favorite Star Trek engineers is masturbating oh, yeah. uh, and watching. <laughs> oh my god, I didn't know that Comedy, who is an actor I always enjoy seeing pop up in anything, was on Star Trek. What? Uh, but he is Deep Space Nine. He's like there are as, as many holes Miles in my knowledge of Star Trek as there were in the average early 20th century person's knowledge in uh, how sex works with the human body. So it all tracks. I mean, but the- if, if, if it wanted to do sex, I get it. And if it wanted to do capitalism, I get it. If it wanted to do wellness, I think it get it. I, but it didn't decide to choose any of those until it decided to make like for a good example, there's a good dramatic scene where John Cusack's mother has come. They're at some sort of like anniversary representation uh, for the, for the sanitarium and Kellogg's giving a speech and he sees John Cusack and he knows these guys ripping him off. And we're going to have a dramatic conflict with two characters trying to expose each other. And John Cusack's response is to run away like he did two scenes previously. And I'm but like, it's very whiskey and funny. But he, I, all, all of these things are true. Everything you are saying is accurate. But I can't help right. but think that these flaws are in, in modern times are, are positives and that we get too many boring self-serious versions of this movie that i that i don't want to watch i don't really want to know how tetris happened i'd rather (laughs) hear it be excessively over you know over told as a as a spy story or have lots of farting and anthony hopkins wearing fake teeth doing his best colonel sanders impression like why does this movie need to be more about yeah. something. Can it pa- just Patches be someone getting electrocuted? Today, he is making he's making a ton of sense. <laughs> I mean, uh, if you just if you just want a bait and switch, I got uh, today. If you I, want a bait and switch, that's fine. But we were talking about this movie as like as somebody who developed cornflakes. That's not in this movie. Like that doesn't yeah. happen in this movie. That, that's not how this movie ends. That's not what this movie's about. But concerned you do see funny flashback scenes of Anthony Hopkins Kellogg trying to serve his son uh, cornflakes and his son chanting, uh, meat and potatoes, meat and potatoes. With uh, over and over dubious and over parenting techniques, I would say. Yeah. How about this, Patches? What is Dana Carvey doing in this movie? <laughs> he is playing a reject from the movie Nothing But Trouble. He's playing a Dickensian like caricature he's playing i don't I, i'm not sure he's playing a being from hell who has surfaced uh <laughs> he is a, he, the uh, most cartoon he, in a very cartoony movie and then he lights the whole when, building on fire not to spoil too much yeah because the movie's over when, yeah when bridget fonda's in the mud bath and he just shows up and starts undressing himself while talking to her it is so deeply unsettling that anything else he does throughout the rest of the movie i mean dana carvey not known for subtlety exactly, but uh, this character doesn't really give him a lot of places to go. No. They say on on windless nights at the Mohonk Mountain House, you can still hear Dana Carvey <laughs> masturbating in the shower. <laughs> um, it's 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 weird because they try to make him. They try to be like this guy is crazy and dangerous by the thing Katie's talking about. The fact that he's always like literally throwing shit around, or the fact that he like burns down the house, but. 
when all the other characters, when you have like Matthew Broderick projectile vomiting on a John Harvey Kellogg wearing a Santa suit, mm-hmm. that doesn't mm-hmm. make that doesn't make Dana Carvey's behavior uh, depraved. It makes everybody else sink down to his level. So it's like there's a scene in this movie where three people like die in very quick succession, and I'm like, why isn't this making any sort of impact on me or the story? Yeah, <laughs> then because like, it's like it's... the Monty Python treatment of of history it is not attempting to be dramatically but it's not but it kind of is though like there's that whole dramatic monologue about how she turned him into an opioid addict like you're supposed to have feelings about these people like why are we getting so many flashbacks to dana carvey's childhood if we're not supposed to have feelings about this father-son relationship is there a better satirical comedy like this is kind of what um oh my god what 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 anchorman director turned Meteor movie. <laughs> yeah, what's the Vice? fuck is this? My oh, don't look up. Don't look up. Don't look up. This is what don't look up wants to be, right? Like this is isn't Ooh. this what? What are the successful versions of satire? I think this of, like, movie might be on par with not... Don't Look Up. Yeah. Are you talking? Uh, I mean, it's it to being something that's like has Adam a social McKay. issue and is also funny. Yeah, I think it is. What Adam McKay is shooting for—that's what it's like it. trying to be. You—you know, you know what I thought of, and it just feels like a really obnoxious comparison. But I thought about Gosford Park, and where you get this okay. kid, like a house where a bunch of people are running around. And you got like different stories, and they're going to overlap in various ways. Gosford Park is a really different movie with different kinds of goals. But I think there is a tight version of this movie to make, set within the sanitarium, not concerned with like sidebar nonsense. Um, that could work. Like you could make a good movie set at the Battle Creek Sanitarium. Um, but you gotta get the tone right, and the like. It's such a vague thing to say, but tone is essential, and it's like off from the very beginning in this movie. Mm, I don't. I, I don't know if tone is the problem here for me. I yeah. I feel like they they find a tone and they stick to it for the most part, even when it makes no logical sense. I mean, even when they're glossing over the grief that the, the light bodies have for they must have for uh you know their their child who they lost. Um, you know, even even that sort of reinforces the tone. It's just that. It, it, the the character like the plot the concerns the focus is all over the map the tone is really the only thing holding it together besides the location um and every time anthony hopkins and his fake teeth walk in they feel like they're walking in from a, a different movie uh even though he's ostensibly the ringleader of this whole thing um i mean it, it's all sustained by the sort of spinning plates of the mania of, of wellness and uh and the fucking uh, snake oil salesman energy of it all but uh, yeah the tone is, is fun i think it's just a, maybe the satire is just not sharp enough like yeah, i'm now sat- thinking of exactly armando it. iannucci i'm death to stalin uh-huh. or something is like the good mm-hmm. version of this it's just not snappy it's just not making to... percussive points it's like they found the tone as sort of a safety net and they're trying to please you know trying to trying to do a million different things at once with it and it doesn't do any of them particularly well um except for make you think about how much money someone would have to pay you to put your penis in a early 20th century uh, bed warmer of some kind. Can you answer that question? That, how much money would a it lot. More money than anyone has ever offered me for anything. But that's not just, a lot I, of money. I think this so. movie is also very interesting for being like elect, electroshock to your genitals is just like having an orgasm, right? Because that's not, I don't remember being is taught it? that. I've never had that per- <laughs> personal experience. 
I but mean, that seems to be like what I would be I surprised. I actually would have assumed that you would have shocked your genitals at some point to try and uh, get into all uh, the podcast. Of all matter. four of us, you would have been the person I thought I would have tried at least. I one. mean, uh, I Katie, the secret but... reason I don't have kids is because I shocked myself on the genitals. Do you know used to review sex toys? Like that seems it seems I, I see that. I porn, Katie. Oh, not excuse toys. me. Excuse I used me. to review porn, um, <laughs> but. As somebody who used to review, has reviewed a lot of different stories, uh, it would be good if it was a satire. It has a satire outline, but every scene and the characters within that are farcical characters. So they're building up out of this silliness, but ultimately their journey isn't saying anything about the subject they're on, which is why someone like John Cusack's character is so frustrating, because we want to be on his side because he's just trying to get his, you know, aunt's investment money back. But... His eventual end is he learns how to be a swindler. Like, I don't understand at what point, you know, his any he intersects with Matthew Broderick's character, mostly to make a with friends like me who needs enemas joke uh, and like otherwise keep the plot balloon in the air. But like, they don't talk to each other after that. There's it, it has the wrong structure for the type of characters that are in it. I it think feels like the, the kind of like the book. It was probably reverse engineered from that bad joke. Like something that occurred to the author and they're like, well, fuck, I guess I need to spend five years of my life researching Kellogg because I need to find a way to organically thread that joke into He was the anima guy, animals. right? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, it does sort of feel like movie. that. This movie does definitely has a, uh, a cut where they start the anima on Matthew Broderick and cut to a very dark beer being poured into a mug. <laughs> And I'm just like, yep, I've, I, uh, that's, that's the, uh, what is it? The me, myself and Irene joke where Jim Carrey right. squats to poop and then it cuts to soft serve. When do you think was like, the last time anyone anywhere in any context has referenced me, myself and Irene? Uh, uh 10 seconds ago, fighting in the war room. I think about that scene where he gets that, a, before where that, that, that what chicken we're stuck week? on his uh, ass. Chickens and ass. Yeah. That's what the, it doesn't that happen. Am I making something that up? that's always confused me about that movie since I saw <laughs> it at a sneak preview screening is that there's a scene where Jim Carrey, who's the female, who's like the, the Renee Zellweger, Renee Zellweger? Yeah. Zell, of course, of course, uh, where he wakes up with her in a motel and he goes to pee. And the joke is that he ha he must have an erection. He tries to pee. He pees all over the wall and the ceiling. And mm -hmm. he deduces from that. That they have had, they've been up all night having sex. That is the dramatic purpose of the scene. As if men don't wake up with erections for any other reason. It makes like, this is like simple biology. It makes, that is always, this has bothered me for more than two decades now. I want to write a letter to uh, the Fairly Brothers. David wants everyone out there to know, men wake up with erections. They just do. Even on the mornings after they haven't been having sex. This seems to be common knowledge to me. It was common knowledge <laughs> to me 20 years ago when I saw that movie and remains common knowledge to me now, but apparently I'm, I'm wrong. I'm so sorry for you. I know. This is one of the greatest uh, injustices <laughs> that has ever occurred to me and it's haunted me ever since. Well, uh, I think this is have the you first... Had, have you out there, listeners, ever woken up with an erection that wasn't because of sex the night before? Right in, to fighting in the war room. Head to Battle Creek and get yourself some <laughs> we'll, yeah, we'll tell you what to do with that flagpole on your grave. <laughs> oh, God, um, have a flagpole in the grave. Yeah, roughage. I think this is the first movie The first movie that's gone from lightning round question answer to movie reviewed. <laughs> so I think that's I'm, the full really colon, uh, the digestive yeah. system of the podcast. Is that... <laughs> We purged ourselves, yes. but I'm interested to see what the next one's going to be. Whether we're 
someone dumbly brings up something as a joke and it turns you know, out that movie exists i do true. feel like anthony hopkins here is only a, a stone's throw away from his performance in westworld like this is the same type of character wow. and he yeah, just, just was teeth. like take out the teeth keep yeah. the accent we're in it's a i mean i do like yeah. i do like how how bewildered he looks at uh, his son in the flashbacks that that's a pretty good <laughs> it's a pretty good anthony hopkins face Watch the word Willville on Peacock, I guess, is the lesson I've learned. Yeah, from yeah you only have to you watch, watch three solid watch minutes of advertisements before it starts, and then <laughs> Every, you're set. At completely unpredictable intervals uh, on Pluto. <laughs> Sounds like that was a relief like a for you. Min- I mean, it was nice to be able to get up and do something else for a little bit. Uh, now we know. It was really be careful what we wish for situation. I wish for a movie about Kellogg, and I got it. There's a lot of movies <laughs> there out there. There it is. <laughs> I <laughs> wish I was dead. <laughs> <laughs> that does it for this week's show we'll be back next week in the meantime tell the people who you are i'm matt patches executive editor over at polygon.com i'm on twitter at mr patches i'm on letterboxd i'm at mr patches we have a website fightingintheworm.com uh, I don't think we've ever talked about the road to well well before, but uh, we have talked a lot about Transformers movies. I'm sure, I'm sure that we've done some Transformers podcasts. So if you want, uh, I remember sitting next to Katie at Age of Extinction. Do you remember seeing Age yeah? of Extinction? One of the most the... miserable goddamn movies I've ever seen in my Is entire life. Is that the life. second one or the third That's one? That's the fifth one, Katie. The fifth one? I saw that one? I'm pretty sure it's the fifth one. Is Wait, that the is one the with Mark one? Wahlberg and the Romeo and Juliet laminated card? Bingo. Yes. Weird okay, sex okay, jokes yeah, I did see and that just one. misery. Yeah, was... Misery. Um, yeah, so we probably talked about it for the podcast. So fightingtheworm.com. Mm-hmm. You can go find that Age of Extinction podcast and listen to us moan. <laughs> hmm. Moan like we're at the Mohawk Mountain. Uh, what the fuck is it called? <laughs> I'm so tired. Uh, you know what I'm talking about. Something, something. The from the last I'm David Ehrlich. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> if any of you can remember that far back at this point. I'm David Ehrlich. Uh, what do I do? Right now, I look after an adorable, smiling, four-month baby. Four-month-old baby who has hand, foot, and mouth disease. Like, <laughs> two weeks running. Uh, oh the spots went away, and then they came back with a vengeance. Who knows? Um... But in my uh, in my uh, other uh, I, whatever, and when it's not this month, I'm editing here. Where I'm trying to form coherent sentences as the film critic. Um, you can find all of us more importantly on iTunes at Fighting in the War Room. Read us a review. Tell us what uh, misbegotten '90s biopic slash satire we should see next, and uh, we'll read about it live on the show. Yeah. I'm Dave Gonzalez. You can follow me on Twitter at DA7E. You could email all of us at FITWR.podcast at gmail.com. And if you're interested in the Marvel Cinematic Universe and would like to read a book about it in October, you could pre-order that at the MCUbook.com. I wrote it with a woman named Joanna Robinson and a man named Gavin Edwards, and I, I think it's pretty good, but I've read it too many times. You should read it. Uh, I'm Katie Rich. You reminded me that Joanna Robinson told us she had memories of the road to Wellville. So we just talked to her before we met Jim Kellogg because saved ourselves this entire process. So (laughs) always listen to Joanna. Um, You can find me at Vanity Fair on the Little Gold Men podcast where this week we're talking about My Beautiful Laundrette, a movie that is old, but in in all other ways, unlike the road to Wellville and a very good movie to watch on Max if you want to. 
Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Katie Rich, K-A-T-E-Y-R-I-C-H. And we're all on Twitter at F-I-T-W-R, where I really would like more of your recommendations of uh, streaming 90s movies we should discuss if we can't get to the theater to see The Flash. Or you can answer this week's lightning round question, which was... In honor of The Flash, what's the second most cheer-worthy moment from a DC movie? And thanks for listening, and we'll be back talking to you next week. We're done.